We just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to study your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we open your word and look at what it says and help us to see what you would have us to see from this. In your son's name, amen. Yeah. Psalm 145, starting at verse 1. There's a Bible, right? I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless thee, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will speak of your glorious honor of your majesty, for, and of your wondrous works and shall speak of the, mighty, of the might of your terrible acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of his glory and of his kingdom and talk of his power to make known the, the, to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all that fall and rises up all those that are bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon you, and you give them their meat in due season. You open your hands and satisfy the desires of living, every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto them that call on him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of them that fear him, and he will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserves all them that love him, but all the wicked shall, be, shall he destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is one of David's more uh, pleasant psalms. He doesn't start out bad and get, get into a high side. He starts out very, very positive. Verse 1, I will extol thee, my God, my King. I will bless your name forever and ever. And extol is a really great word is to... Uh, exalt, lift up. God, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to make your name great. Uh, and then it says, Oh my God, which is Adonai, my king, and I will bless your name forever and ever. And bless is that whole idea of giving adoration. So David says, I'm going to lift up your name. God, I'm going to adore you, and I'm going to just bless you. And this is something really special because we've talked about this. We need to spend time just giving God blessing and adoration. Not just always, God, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> but God, you are so wonderful. You are so good. You've met my needs. And give him praise and blessing as well. And too many people, everything about their prayers is, God, I need. I need, I need, I need, I need. And God's saying, I want to bless. I want, and he's looking for that, God, thank you. God, you are so wonderful. And if all of our expectation is, God, I need, we have some big problems. And then he goes, at the very end of this, I will bless your name forever and ever. And there's, there's two different words there, forever and ever. 
The first one means a long duration of time and everlasting, and the other one is in perpetuity. God, I'm going to bless you for a long duration of time, and if that's not enough, in perpetuity forever. Forever. Okay. So this, and, he, and he repeats it, but he repeats it with two words that we translate into the same word because they're both in English, really the same word. But in the Hebrew, it comes out as a two different words that, that he's repeating. And it kind of, and it, we bless his name. And we've talked about that, his name. All of his reputation is in his name. And this is something we've got to keep remembering when God says we're to worship his name, his reputation, his honor, everything about him, and, and hold his name holy. And this is the matter, you know, I, and I've mentioned this, I was raised with a dad who kept telling me, you are a Wells that has a reputation involved with it. You're going to be, a, you know, that means you're a hard worker. People can trust you. And that was drilled into our heads. You are a Wells. This is what it means. Now, some people have very bad names, bad reputations attached to their names. And people, people go, uh, you don't want to hire that person. You know, they're, they're, they're a whatever name you want to put on there. You know, you, know, yeah, you don't hire them. They, they'll rip you off. They'll, they'll be lazy. They'll, but you do want, you know, that family's got a good name. That's what it's talking about when God says, bless his name. He's got a name that is so special. And he says, give it all the honor and power that it deserves. Verse 2, every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. God, I will bless you every day. Paul, Paul says that we're to pray without ceasing. David says, pray, bless him every day. And this is something that is so special. Do we spend time really blessing God each day? You know, just spending time. And this is what I love trying to do. Some of these songs that we sing that are just quick, easy songs. It's wonderful to just say a praise song to God. God, I adore you. I bless you. Bless your name, O Lord. Uh, you know, any of these songs that we sing that, that are just lifting him up. And he says, do it daily. And I will bless your name forever and ever. So again, he's saying the same thing. In perpetuity forever. And this is something that's so precious. Do you realize that when we get to heaven, we're going to spend time praising God? You know, that is going to be our greatest blessing in heaven. And I've shared, there are times when I am in singing and praises with God that it just seems for just a moment that I leave this world and I'm in the presence of God. Doesn't ever last long. Seems like a long time when I'm in it, but I, I come back and it's only been three or four words sometimes or you know, no more than, no more than a, you know, five or six words. But there's just those couple minutes, the couple seconds where it just seems that I'm in his presence. I'm looking forward to being in his presence. I, I can't imagine anything that's going to be greater than to be in the presence of God and be able to worship and learn. And the greatest thing I'm learning, expecting in heaven is to not forget what I learned. <laughs> I, I get so tired of reading something and go, I've learned this already. Why did, why did I forget it? Uh, and, I, you know, it's, and I've said to people, you know, I've forgotten more in the Bible than most people know, and it's true, and, but it's sad. It's sad to learn these things and forget them and say, I know that, I know that, I know that, but I don't know it anymore. And that's something that I'm looking forward to. One of the greatest blessings is going to be, all right, I don't have to relearn the same lesson a dozen times to finally get it drilled through my head. 
you know, we've talked about how the Bible, God keeps repeating himself over and over and over to people because he knows we are forgetful people. Verse 3, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Great, magnificent is God. You know, do we really often keep in mind how great God is? Yeah. And I think I love some of these verses in the Old Testament, especially because they really exalt God more than we do as, tend to do as Christians. Oftentimes as Christians, we get, okay, Jesus, you died. You're my, you're my buddy. You're my friend. And in one sense, yes, those are true. He is a friend of sinners. He wants us to love him. But we've got to get, be very careful to be so callous toward him that we just make him uh, hard, uh, that we get so callous toward him that we just accept him, you know, well, he's just like me. Because he's not like me. He is holy. He is righteous. And he decides that he's going to come down and, and be a, in relationship with us. But we've got to be careful how we treat that. Okay? You know, because if you abuse somebody's love and their grace, eventually they get tired of it. Okay, they may be very gracious and loving toward you, but there is a point where you can push that, especially as humans, so far that they get, well, not you again. <laughs> they might not say that. They're still being gracious. Now, God's not going to do that to us, but he will be heartbroken. Would you just come to me in, in righteousness and holiness and not, not as if I'm just like you? And it, he's going to be heartbroken by it, and he's not going to think, oh, you're, you're here again, as a human would. Yeah, not you again doing, doing the same thing. Oh, but he's, he'll be brokenhearted. Like, don't you realize how above you I am? You know, how righteous we are. Because this is the problem where people get this idea that all people will go to heaven because God's just so much loving and kindness that he'll just say, they, oh, we'll just, we'll just wipe out what you did. You know, I can do it without him. But no, the price has to be paid. It has to be accepted. And we have to understand that. God paid a high price for us to be able to walk into his presence. You know, Jesus died, and the Father had to turn his back on Jesus on the cross when he became sin. So Jesus paid the physical price of it and the separation, but the Father paid the separation, and the Holy Spirit paid the separation. There was a high price that was paid for us to be able to come to God. A very high price, and we need to really keep that in mind. Yes, God wants us to love him. He wants us to come before him. But he also wants us to understand that he's righteous and holy and not just bring all my baggage and my sin to him and say, you know, God, hey, hey I'm not finding to leave this with you, God. I just want you to know I have it. And that's not what he's wanting from us. He is great. And he's greatly to be praised. And, you know, and it says his greatness is unsearchable. Yeah. Every time, and this I've said many times, when you think about how great God is, You've only scratched the surface, no matter how big you think it is. No matter how big you think God is, and I have a very big picture of God myself after 48 years, I still have a small picture of God and who he really, really is. Okay? No matter how big, how strong, how powerful you think God is, you're too small. No matter how big it is, and I don't care where you're at you know, with what you think about it, it's too small. Because he is beyond searching, searchable. He is infinite. And that means he has no ending. His power has no ending. His knowledge has no ending. His size has no ending. His, his 
omnipresence has no ending. He is everywhere, and the only end to that will be whatever dimension it ends at. And he, he's beyond all of the dimensions. So, you know, whatever we think about God, we are too small. And I really want to impress that on people because sometimes people are like, well, I've got a really big God. Yeah, and he's still too small. <laughs> well, you don't know how big he is. I go, and it doesn't matter. You're too small. <laughs> okay. Uh, he is unsearchable. And verse 4, I love this one. One generation shall praise his works to another and just shall declare his mighty acts. Do you realize that this is our job is to declare to the next generation God's power and his graciousness and his acts? Because if we don't do it, they won't know. And this is the sad thing in our generation now. We're not doing a good job declaring God to the next generation. And in the Truth Project, we saw that yesterday, how, how far our country has fallen from its right, righteous roots. Now, in this country used to know God. Now, not everybody was a Christian, but they knew God. They knew what he did. When I went to school the second time, I went into an English class where we talked about a reference in a, in a book to a biblical story, and nobody, knew, nobody in the class other than me knew what that reference meant including apparently the teacher because the professor was trying to say some really stupid stuff about it and I go would you guys like to really know what that story means that reference means that is how far our generation has gone from God if you reference Samson and Delilah there are many people that have no clue who you're talking about you you reference Cain and Abel and they don't know who you're talking about you reference Adam and Eve and they have no clue what you're talking about uh, but it even happened in the church. We were singing a, hill, uh, a hymn that talked about the Macedonian call, and I'm going, do you all know what the Macedonian call is? So Christians do the same thing. We don't always understand what it is that we're reading, and I'm getting a blank look from that. The Macedonian call was when Paul was on his mission trip, and he was looking for it to go, and he got the dream of the Macedonian man calling him to come mission, to, to, to the mission field where they were at. But you understand how we need to know God's word so that we get these references. We understand how great he is. I mean, the whole Bible is what God, God reveals to us how to, how to live and what he wants us to live. Uh, but again, the most important thing about that is the rules of conduct are not what make us even right with God or make God happy with us. It's being in a relationship with him. The rules just introduce us to religion. And if I'm all, if I'm all about just following rules, and I'm not in a relationship with God, I'm going, God, I'm trying to do whatever pleases you. And there's some good in that. There is good to please God. But none of that will get us to heaven. None of them will give God, make God bless us anymore because it's all by grace. Jesus died for our sins so that we could, by his grace, be indwelt by him. And when he indwells us, then he comes out of us. And we follow the rules because he, he indwells us and the rules represent him and his personality. And what we do is we study the word. We go, okay, God, I now understand a little more about you. Because in the Old Testament it says, you shall not commit adultery. And then Jesus comes along and says, if you've even thought about a woman in a lustful manner, you've committed adultery in your heart. Okay, uh, the Bible says, do, you know, the Old Testament in the, says, do not commit murder. And Jesus said, if you're angry with a brother without cause, you, you've committed murder in your heart. 
he took it to a level that is so much beyond anything we can keep because he says, I don't want you just following rules. Now, oftentimes Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I, but I say unto you. And he would refer back to a rule from the Old Testament and say, but I'm saying it's much deeper. It's much more important. Because God is not looking for a bunch of robots obeying rules. He's looking for people that are in a relationship with him. And just say, God, I want to, be, I want to know you. And when we know him and let him change us, we will follow the rules. The rules are there just to show us that we can't keep the rules. That's all they're there for. They're there to show us that we cannot please God by following rules. And in Romans, Paul said that, okay, God's rules are there, but you know, even if you don't know God's rules, you don't keep rules. And this is obvious because people don't even keep their own rules. You know, I would never do such and such. And what do we find ourselves doing? What exactly what we said we're not going to do. Uh, groups that have, you know, that we would maybe call bad gangs, they have rules within the gangs and they don't keep their own rules within the gangs so often. We violate any rule that's put out there, we will violate. It doesn't have to be God's rules and God will say, well, you don't think you know my rules? Let's go, let's go to the rules you didn't keep. You knew this rule in your company, you didn't keep this rule. You knew this rule in your family, you didn't keep this rule. You knew this rule, you know, and you'll just go down the list and say, not only did you not keep my rules, you couldn't keep human rules. You couldn't keep your rules in your relationships. It just shows how evil man is. Jeremiah tells us that every imagination of our heart is evil. You know, without God, we are going to be evil and disobedient. With God, we will probably still be evil and disobedient unless we let him change us. The only way to be having anything else is to let him come into us and have that relationship with him. But we're to declare from one generation to the next, this is what God's done. Israel did not do that very well in most generations. They did not declare the righteousness of God. Remember when we studied the, the story of Gideon and the angel appeared to Gideon and he goes, where is the God who, who took us across Egypt, who, who sent the plagues on Egypt that, that opened the Red Sea? We haven't seen him. Where is he? Now, he had been told the stories, but he didn't believe them. And this is how, why didn't he believe it? Probably because the people told him the story didn't believe them. Have you ever listened to somebody that tells you something and you know they don't believe what they're telling you? It becomes pretty obvious, I don't really believe this. You can hear it sometimes in pastors and churches when they go through the Bible and they go, and just their words tell you, well, I don't really believe what I'm teaching you, but I, I gotta teach you the Bible. Or they come in and go, hey, this is God's word. Let's really understand it. And hopefully you've always chosen churches where the pastor is. But I, I've, I've visited several churches where it's just you know, obvious that the guy speaking does not really believe the word of God. I've even heard evangelists that I think don't really believe the word of God. You know, they seem to have the, their message down, but you're going, is it real? Is it real? This is a living book of God's word that helps us to understand this. And then we're to declare his mighty acts. Verse 5 says, I will speak of the glorious honor of your majesty and of your wondrous works. And this is another idea. I will speak of your glory. This is, this is the idea for God, the, the kabod of God, the glory, the splendor, the light of God. 
God, I'm going to speak of how glorious you are. And I, lo you know, I love it when people speak about God. I love it when people say, God is good. One of my favorite things is when I'm in around Christians is to listen to them tell me about what God is doing in their life. How they witness to somebody and, they, and, and watch somebody's eyes light up and how God blessed them, gave them, gave them a job, gave them this provision, gave them that provision. I just listen to them. God answered my prayers and this happened. It is so wonderful to be in that place where we say, look what God has done. And you know, I shared this with you. It's wonderful to look at the Bible and say, look what God has done. Okay, the Bible is two to, two to 4,000 years old. And we look at it and say, well, God, you did lots of wonderful things 2,000, 4,000 years ago. But you know, we as humans go, what have you done for me lately? And this is why I recommend that we read biographies. So that we can read biographies from a 50 to 100, 200 years and go, okay, God, you've done good things for these people. But still, 100, 50, 200 years ago, Again, we come, what have you done for me lately? This is why our personal testimonies to one another are so important. God gave me this blessing yesterday. That has got power in it that is something that is phenomenal. Okay, God, you did things two and 4,000 years ago. You did things 200, 1,000 years ago, and you're still doing great things for us. Our God never changes. And do you understand what I'm saying about this? How it, if, you know, we look back in the Bible and it's wonderful and I believe it's true and all these things. But, you know, there are people out there that will tell you, well, God stopped doing things back in the first century. He doesn't, he doesn't work anymore. What a bunch of boulder dash. You look at your own life, I hope, and see what God has done and how he's raised up what's been going on. And he loves us. And he says, I will speak the glorious honor of your majesty and of your wondrous works. And wondrous here means surpassing, extraordinary, difficult to do, marvelous. Only God could do them. Can you think of things in your life that only God could do? Oh, I've had many things where, where that's happened. I've seen things where God, I go, God, it's an amazing thing. And I've shared with you, I remember several times in Guam where we would have this, this little five-quart bucket of thing of uh, stew to make and We'd end up with 30 or 40 people eating on it and having seconds and thirds, and there were still leftovers when we got done with it. Yeah. There wasn't enough food for everybody to eat that much food and still have food in that pot. Okay, I don't know how it happened. I know there's times up here where we've had our potlucks, and I'm looking, I'm going, well, we're a little light today, and there's a lot of people here, and everybody gets the full, get leaves full. Okay, God does... You know, is that a big minute, big, big uh, miracle? Not particularly, but you know, it's a miracle. But everybody leaves full. How did God do that? I don't know. Did he make everybody full on a little bit or did he <coughs> multiply the food? I don't know, but you know, it's, it's wonderful to watch God do miracles. I've seen people get healed. Some of them very clearly been healed. One person I know was on the heart transplant list and he asked for prayer and he got off the heart transplant list. Boy, was he excited when he came to church the next week. Running around, the, running around the church, you know, uh, excited that he was no longer on the heart transplant list. God does miracles today. He wants to bless people. Now, is he going to give us everything that we desire and want? Absolutely not, because if he did that, we would, we would forget him. And the Bible is full of those stories 
where people get the blessings and they forget God. Forgetting God, we start looking at the gifts and not the giver. And this is very important for us to always keep our eyes on the giver of the gifts, not the gift. And because he wants to bless us, but he's not going to bless us if we're going to take our eyes off, off of him. Uh, and I've seen it. I've seen people get so blessed that they walk away from God. And we see it in the scriptures frequently. Okay, the book of Judges is all about the people getting blessed, being delivered, and forgetting God. All through Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, the people get blessed, they get a good king, and they forget God and get, get put into punishment. It is the cycle of humanity. We forget God so easily. And when we forget God, he says, okay, I'm going to be patient, I'm going to keep calling you, and you don't respond, he punishes. But we do that in our own lives. We get blessed, and all of a sudden we start drifting away from God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my, hear my voice and, and follow me. And so basically it is learning to hear the voice. I think some of the greatest examples I've seen is mothers in church when their babies are in the nursery and they hear a baby cry. And the mother knows it's their ba this is my baby. And not only do they know it's their baby, they know what that baby's needing. That baby is wet, needs change. That baby is hungry. Oh, they're just upset. There's no big deal. I don't have to run over there and take care, you know, find out what's going on with my child. It's an amazing thing. In the old days when we used to have to answer our phones before we knew who called, and they would say, hi, this is so-and-so. If you was somebody that you knew, you knew their voice. That's how we know Jesus. We just know his voice so well. We spend so much time listening to him that we learn his voice. And we can discern his voice from, from the, uh, Satan's voice or our own voice. Uh, and it's just, it's just a learning curve. It really is a learning curve. Open, open doors are not the best thing because Satan can open doors for us as well. And shall speak of the, mighty, of the might of his terrible acts and will declare his greatness. Now you'll note if you have a King James that I took out men and men is in italics, which means that it was added. It's not part of the... It's not part of what was said. And in this case, it does not belong there. I'm absolutely convinced it does, men does not belong there because it doesn't fit. David's talking about, I will speak of the glories of, and honor of your majesty and of your wonders and shall speak of the might of your terrible acts and I will declare your greatness. Men does not belong in there in my opinion. Uh, and, it's not, and it's not in the Hebrew because it is in italics. It's there to help us understand. So when you see something, and we've talked about this in the past, if you see something in italics on the King James, it's there just to help you understand what, what, what they think it means. Uh, sometimes I will read, when I'm studying, I will read without the italics and see if it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you have to go into, the, into it to, to understand. But he says, I shall speak. And this literally means meditate. I will meditate on your great acts, your mighty and terrible acts. Meditate. Does this terrible His mighty, awesome acts. Uh, and declare your, and then I will declare your greatness. Why is he declaring the greatness? Because he has meditated on God's great acts. This is really true for us. We need to spend time thinking about what God has done for us. And the more we think about what God has done for us, the more we're going to talk about God and what he's done for us. Why? Because out of the treasure of our heart, we speak. 
If all you do is, is meditate on all the bad things that are happening to you and all the misery that's just happening on, to you, what do you want to speak about? All the miserable things that are going to happen to you because you're filling your heart with all the bad things. And you know, we have this great capacity as humans to be able to ignore good or bad depending on which way we go. And if we're concentrating on what God has done, we're meditating on God, what are, what are your blessings? That'll fill our heart with his blessings. Have you met anybody who just always seems to be positive and never seems to have any problems? And you know, they're always telling you about how good God is and how God is blessing them and doing great things for them. And then you meet somebody else who all they can tell you is about how miserable life is and, and how I never make any right decisions and everything is wrong and the whole world is against me. They're looking at what God is doing good for them. Yeah, yeah. They really are. And I'm not being, we're not talking about just being positive thinking. Okay. Literally, God, I, you are just so wonderful, God. You gave me a brand new day to worship. Some of the people get angry at me when I come into work at the prison. They're going, oh, it's a Monday. Hey, it's a wonderful day to be able to get up and serve God. And, you know, you got to have a good day. How can you, what do you mean? You, I go, you can't let circumstances control your day. It's God is in control. It's a good day. So they, well, they give me strange looks, but they know what I'm going to say anymore. So they don't, they don't really talk to me about it anymore. But you know, I don't look at it. I don't look at his writing a rainbow. And I just look at it saying God is in control. God, I wake up looking for God to do great things each day. Now, does that mean I always have a good attitude? No, you all know me well enough. I don't always have that good attitude. But for the most part, I'm looking, God, what are you going to do today? Who are you going to give me to talk today? Talk to today. What are you going to do today to bless? I guess we don't ask that stuff. We're not. We're not, we're not looking to God. We're not meditating on what God's doing for us. And then when we're not meditating on what God is going to do for us, then we're going to be thrown and tossed and turned and and up on this wave and then down on the other side of the wave and then the other wave comes along and I'm back on the top and then I'm down at the bottom again of the, you know, because everything looks bad and if I'm saying, God, I'm looking forward to you. You are good. And the great phrase that keeps bringing up, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. The question is, do we believe this? Even if we don't think he's good, he is good. He's always good. You know. I can make mistakes. I can mess everything up. But God is good. And his promise in, Ro in Romans 8.28 is all things work together for good. So even when I mess it up, he uses it to do some good. Maybe not good for me, but he does something good even when I make the mistake. Now, I still have to suffer for the mistake. I have to... I have to have the consequences for the mistake, but God is going to do something good from the mistake. But it all comes down to, am I meditating on him and his goodness? Or is it just something else? And, you know, meditate on, on his terrible acts or his mighty, his glorious, his, his awesome acts. And then I will declare them. If I'm meditating on him, I will declare his acts. And these are those people that just seem to always have something good to say about God. Look what God has done. Look at the answer to my prayer that he gave me today. Look at how blessed I am because he, he did this. And this is, you know, I, it starts with me meditating on him and accepting him. Verse 7, 
They shall abundantly utter the memory of their great goodness and shall sing of his righteousness. Those who are meditating on God's great works, he says, first off, they will declare his greatness and then they will abundantly, greatly utter. Those are those people that can really irritate you because all they do is talk about how good, how good God is. And they will sing of his righteousness. They will, and this is a loud ringing cry sing on this one. Is that the way we want to live our life? I hope it is. How do we do it? We go back to this first one. God, I'm going to meditate on what you're doing in my life. I'm going to meditate on all the blessings you've given me, whatever those blessings might be. And I've shared with you one of my hymns that I really love is, you know, count your blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And you start counting your blessings, you're going to, you're going to be singing to everybody else all the blessings that he's done for you. you know, that could be a good thing, too. Because technically, everything is a blessing. In reality, everything is a blessing, even if we don't think it's a blessing when it happens. Because God promises that all things work together for good. So in reality, everything is a blessing. It's a blessing in disguise. The quote from Annie's favorite book, The Hiding Place, where they were thanking God for the fleas. Why? Because the guards wouldn't come in. They could have all the Bible studies they wanted and, and the guards weren't coming in and harassing them because of the fleas. Now, is that something you would say, God, I just thank you for the fleas? No, but, you know, that is what, that's what uh, Betsy told her sister. We need to thank God for the fleas. And then she goes, and, the, and then later on they realized that it was a great blessing because the guards didn't come in. They didn't harass them. They could have Bible studies. They didn't rape them. They didn't molest them because they would not come into that dorm, okay? So everything is a blessing. It may just be a delayed blessing. It may, not, it may be a hidden blessing. But we need to be able to look. God, you're in charge. It is, God, you're in charge and you're in control. And if he's in control, it's going to work out. And that if is, if and he is, <laughs> okay? That if he is. You know, he, he is in control. control. Right. We have to accept that he's in, in control. And get out of his way. Yep. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. And this goes to this, what I just said. God is good and he's gracious. You know, gracious is quite a word. Gracious is that person who just is kind and loving. The gracious person, even when you're interrupting them, is going to say, what, what can I do for you? You're interrupting them, but they're not going to let you know that they're interrupting you unless it's extremely important. And even then, they're going to tell you, I really don't have the time right now. Can we do this in an hour or two hours or whatever it may be? But that graciousness, that they're kind, they're pleasant. Uh, you know, God is gracious. He is compassionate, slow to anger. The, and God is good to all. This all is literally all, not just his servants. He is gracious to the lost world as well. Part of it is because he's trying to give them his love and his compassion. If he gave them what they deserve, they'd be dead, and they would never have a chance to turn to him. And he says, I am going to be gracious and his tender mercies are over all his works. 
his mercy. Is this the picture that we have of God? It's not normally the picture the world has of God. The world, the world pictures this angry person up in heaven with a baseball bat or lightning, lightning bolts or anything just ready to strike you the moment you do anything wrong. Sad thing is most Christians have that view of God. God, I am just so afraid to do anything because I'm just waiting for you to smash me. If I do something wrong, you're going to smash me. That's not what the Bible says about God. God is gracious. He is good. He wants to bless his people. He wants to give mercy. This is the God we need to picture. Will God send people to hell? In the reality, no. They choose to go to hell, but he will send them to where he, they have chosen to go. But he will be heartbroken when he has to do it. He is heartbroken when he has to discipline his children. Just as any good parent is heartbroken when they have to discipline their child. You know, you know you're not rubbing your hands and ah, ha, ha, I get to take the car away from you and you don't get to go to the dance tonight. That's not, that's not being a good parent and that's not the way God is. Oh man, son, you really messed up. You, you have messed up so bad, you don't get the car tonight to go to this date. You, you really have, don't deserve it. Son, uh, you know, you're going to get the spanking because you, you have violated the rules and it's going to hurt but it's going to hurt me as well. And this is God. Knowing that we need it, he will do what is needed, but it breaks his heart to do it. And he's not sitting there just rubbing his hands like, okay, who can I get now? That would be Satan. You know, that would be Satan. Who can I get now? Who can I, who can I make do bad to? And even then, he's got to get permission from God. God is so much in love with us and just so much wanting to, to keep and honor us. And then he changes his tune a little bit here as he goes into verse 10. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glories of your kingdom and talk of your power. Oh, I love this. All your works shall praise you, everything. What did Jesus say to them on the triumphant entry? And they say, stop these people from saying these things. And he says, if they stop, the rocks will cry out. He says, all my, all my creation will call out. You want, me to, you want me to stop the people from doing it? Fine, we'll have the rocks and the trees call out. You know, and I wonder what the rocks and the trees will sound in praise, but God would understand. <laughs> All his works shall praise him, and his saints, his separated ones, shall bless him. You know, this is the wonderful thing. If you are his saint, you're going to bless him. You're going to give his praise. You're going to sing his praise because you're concentrating on him. He's changed our lives, and this is so important. And they shall speak of his glory of his kingdom and talk of his power. I love talking about God and his power. It is so wonderful to talk about his power. And it's not just because I'm a pastor, because I've always done this. It's just so much fun to talk about what God is doing. But when we think about the power of God, the glory of God, and we share that with others, you know, then there is that point where some people go, not, not again. <laughs> I don't want to hear about you or what God has done for you. And usually, why are they do that? They don't see it. They're meditating on all the bad that's going on in their life, and they're not looking for anything from God. And, and you just sound like Susie Sunshine, that, that everything is roses and rainbows. You never have any problems. But you know, when you're concentrating on all that God has done, he takes your eyes off the problems because he's still in control of the problems. And that's the wonderful thing. We're concentrating on God. God is in control. And even when I do run into the problems, as I've told you, my, my answer to God is, God, I don't understand why, but you're in control. 
And I'm still, what am I doing? I'm focused on God, you're in control. Yeah, that's something bad, but God, you're in control. I'm, I'm waiting to see how you're going to get this fixed. I'm looking forward to how you're going to fix this. And sooner or later, he comes in, and, and you don't even sometimes even recognize the fix because you're not concentrating on the problem anyway. And you just kind of look back and go, you know what? I had a problem last week. Uh, what happened to that? Oh, God, you, you took care of it. You, know, you took care of it because my eyes are focused on him. And my favorite story about that is Peter getting out of the boat in the middle of the storm. You know, the good news is he got out of the boat you know, in the storm because Jesus said, come out and walk. He goes, God, if that's really you, tell me to come out. And he goes, oh, come. And he gets out of the boat and he's doing fine until what? He looks at the storm. And he sees, takes his eyes off Jesus, puts his eyes on the storm, and then he's thinking, I can't walk on water. And as soon as he did that... He started sinking. You know, I bet he didn't even get that far into his thoughts. Probably not. It wasn't, it wasn't a long conscious thought. It was just inside. He goes, I can't walk on water. Look at this storm. It's dead. It's not a place to be. And he started sinking. <laughs> and there was no conscious, you know, there was no conscious thought on that. It was just subconscious. He looked at the storm, said, I can't. his mind saying, what are you doing out here? You can't walk on water. Uh, this storm is going to, you can't even swim in this water. This, this storm is going to overwhelm you. And he started sinking. Because his spirit all of a sudden gave him all the, you know, all of what he saw. So often we work on what we see instead of walking by faith. Flesh. The flesh, the soul, telling him the truth. The truth was he can't walk on water. But he took his eyes off Jesus and, and he ended up floundering. And when we take our eyes off Jesus, we will flounder. And this is what this whole section's all about. Keep my eyes on Jesus. Keep my eyes on God and watch what he's going to do. They shall speak of the glories of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures forever throughout all generations. When we start declaring God, there are going to be people who listen. There will be. There always is. God always has a remnant of followers. All through scripture we see God has a remnant of followers. Elijah runs away and complains to God, I'm your only, I'm your only true believer. And he goes, get back where you go out. I've got 5,000 who haven't been to the knees. Go, go do what I told you to do. We, we see that before the, the deluge, the flood of Noah, a remnant, only one, but a remnant Throughout the generations of the Dark Ages, there was a remnant of the Christian church. As the Catholic Church got more and more corrupt, there was a remnant of believers underneath that came up during the, the Enlightenment period and, and brought God's word back out. All through generations and generations, God has a remnant of people. He says, these are those that are following me. And our job as that remnant is to declare him and try to get more people to join the remnant. Now that may cost our life if the remnant is very small. During the first, second, third, fourth uh, century of the church, millions of Christians were killed because they were the remnant of following God. And in our day and age, millions of people are Christians are being killed every year because they're Christians. 
Not so much in America, and we don't hear about it in America unless you start paying attention to the voice of the martyrs or, or many of these other groups that are dealing with them. But there are places in this world where to be a Christian is a death sentence within in less than a year or a year and a half. And they still keep becoming Christians in those places because they're being declared the greatness of God. The love of God is being declared to them and they're going, yes, I want what you're declaring. You know, nobody wants to follow a dead God that's just a bunch of rules. They want a living God who is busy in their life. And that's what God is saying, I want for you. I want to have all this for you. I want to give you these things. I want to bless you. But it all comes down to, am I going to look and hold on to God? Verse 14, yea, the Lord upholds all that fall and raises up those that are bowed down, the eyes of all that wait upon him, and you give them and gives them their meat in due season. Do you realize that God holds us up? God is with us. The old footprints in the sand where, God, where it says God will always be with you. You know, God catches us. We start to stumble and he catches us. He holds us up. And when we are bowed down with great burdens, he'll lift us up. Unless we want to hold on to the burdens. I mean, if you, want, if you really want to hold on to your burdens, he'll let you walk around all bent over. And a lot of people want to. A lot of people want to just let God, uh, I know you want, you said cast all my cares upon you, but I just like carrying my burden. I, I, like, I like being overloaded with burdens. And we may not say it quite that much, but you know, we really do by our actions. We really do when we worry about everything. We, we hold on to everything. And we just don't cast our burdens onto him. And he says, I want to uphold you. I want to lift you up. And if you're waiting on me, all those that wait for me, he will give them their meat in due season, their food. He will provide. God has promised the provisions for us in due time. Now, usually it's at the last possible moment. Uh, when you're walking by faith and your bill is due tomorrow, he'll give it to you about five minutes before the door of the building opens that you have to pay the bill in most cases. Uh, but he will provide your needs. Not necessarily all your wants and your desires, but he will provide the needs. And he says, then that was what food is in this case, the need. And he says, he, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God opens his hands. This is why I said in the beginning, you know, is our picture of God this angry, vicious person who wants to club us with a club or shoot us down with, with arrows? Man, this scripture is so wonderful to get a different picture of God. A God that loves you, a God that opens up, opens up his hands. He's not, he's not handing you something so tight-fisted, say, drag it out of my hand and you can have it. It says, here's my open hand, just take it right out of my hand. Okay, what a different picture of God that is than what most people have. God, I know you're just so miserly and you're just looking to put an eyedropper of blessing on me. You know, that's the way most people look at God. And they have this picture of God dropping two drops into your mouth of you know, blessing. Oh, no, you can't have another blessing for a week because I gave you two drops instead of one. You know, that is not our God. Our God hopes, open his hands and says, what do you want? What do you want? He's not going to give us all of his blessings, but he satisfies. And that means satiates. He, fill, he satisfies what we want. That satiated feeling when you've had enough food at the table you're not stuffed, but you're no longer hungry. And you feel good. You're satisfied. That's what God is using in here. 
He holds his hands open so that we will be satisfied. He'll probably close them up when we start trying to overeat on the blessings. But uh, verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh to those that call on him, to all that call on him in truth. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Everything God does is righteous. And this is where you'll hear people say, why does God let bad things happen to good people? God is righteous. Number one, there's no such thing as a good person in God's eyes. We're all evil. Even the best person you can imagine in your mind is a sinner. And in God's mind, deserves punishment. Now, if they're his child, he's going to punish them with, great, you know, with a measured punishment. But, you know, we've got to be careful how we look at God because God is good. Always. And what he does is for our good. And when he allows bad things to happen, it's to move us toward him. When he allows bad things happen to the lost, he's trying to get them to turn to him. In the book of Revelation, when we have seven years of tribulation, it's not because God is trying to destroy mankind. He could do that in a thought. Destroy mankind. He's trying to say, will you come to me with all of these problems? Will you turn to me, or are you going to keep trying to figure it out how to do it your way? And it's a very sad thing to try to do it your way. I know, done it that way. <laughs> done it myself in the past, where I kept trying to do it my way. And God will oppose it when we try to do it our way. He says, nope, you're going to do it my way. Eventually, you're going to do it my way, where you're coming home. And it says, God is nigh unto them that call upon him, to those that call on him in truth. God is near. He is near his children all the time. But you know, even for the lost world, because he is everywhere, he's near. And he's waiting for them to call out, God, I need you. Now, is God obligated to, to answer the lost person's prayer? No, he's not even obligated to answer his, his children's prayer. He just will answer our desires. But he's waiting for the lost person to call out and say, God, I need I need, your, I need you because I recognize I'm a sinner. And I need you to come into my life and, and give me that grace. And then he says, he will fill the desires of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. That's a great blessing. God will hear us and save us. No matter how deep we get into the pit, no matter how deep we fall into the, from, from where he wants us, he will hear when we cry. And this is a great blessing. In Pilgrim's Progress, the story of the Christian is starting out on the trip to get, to get saved. And he falls into the pit of despair. And he cries out for help, and God helps him, sends help. And then all through the rest of the story, every time he does something wrong, and he cries out, God helps him. Yeah. It's a great picture, because that is what we do. We mess up, we mess up our life really good, and we cry out, God, you know, I've really, I've broken every piece of this house into tiny pieces. Will you help me? And God says, sure. Speaks a word, and the house is put back together. God doesn't even deal with the broken pieces. He just starts all over again. As we as humans try to put the pieces back together. God, I've got these 20 pieces. I'm going to put them back together. And God says, why? I'll just create new pieces. We need to be able to look at this and say, cry out to God 
he will fulfill our desires for those that fear him. Why will our desires be fulfilled if we fear him? Because our desires will be what he wants. Okay, this is important. He fulfills our desires. Why? Because when I'm following him, my desires become more like him. And when we're, when we're turned over to him and we fear him, and he says, he will save us, snatch us out of what we perceive as a problem. Yeah. And this is what I say, what we perceive as a problem because God looks at it and says, I don't see a problem. You know, I've heard people say, well, I'm only going to turn the big problems over to God. I'm going to handle my little problems. And my answer to that, what problem is big to God? Okay. What of our problems is big to God? He created the universe. Okay. What problem does I, as a little peon standing on this earth, can have that may seem huge to me, but God says, uh, your problem, not a big deal. I, I'm holding the sun in its place and the stars in their places and, and all the galaxies in their places, and you think your problem's big? And he doesn't even look at those as big problems. You know, how would you like to control the whole universe? I wouldn't. That would be a big job to me. But God says, hey, I'm just doing it on the side while I do other things. Not a problem. My mouth, uh, the Lord preserves all them that love him, but the wicked he will destroy. The wicked will be destroyed. In the end, they will be destroyed. And God says, I'm going to preserve all those that love me. My children are going to be preserved. We're going to be in, be in heaven. The rest are going to spend eternity in hell. The ultimate judgment is there. And you know, this also is true in, on this day, on this planet. God preserves his people on our, in our lifetime. Doesn't have all roses and everything. There's bad things that seem to happen to us, but God is still preserving us. And the wicked get punished in this lifetime. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. And we've talked about this. You know, we look at somebody and they seem to have everything all together. They're, they're the movie star, making all these shows, making millions of dollars, having the big mansion and all the cars and all the servants and, and all the people following them. And then they're lonelier than anything and, and end up blowing their brains out because of their loneliness. They think they have everything. We would think that they have everything. And God says, you're destroyed. You don't have it. You don't have what really counts. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. I'm going to speak it. And God, by the way, just let all flesh. And the end days at the white throne judgment, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Now, the good news is it happens even before that. But forever and ever, we will bless his holy name. We're going to close in prayer and then we'll let you say whatever it is you want to say, Annie. Lord, we just thank you for the day. We thank you for your love and your care. Lord, help us to always see that you are in control, that you desire for us to follow you. Help us to keep your word and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.